Welcome to the very first Food Interviews podcast. You can find past food interviews and photos from this interview on foodinterviews.com. I'm Stephanie Pollock. In this interview, I talk with Wade Gretsch of Noble Juice. Noble is the only producer of 100% Florida tangerine juice. It's also the first juice to be packaged in a bottle and label that are fully compostable. This totally impresses me. But what I wanted to know first was... What makes one juice different than another juice? Like if there's 50 orange juices on the shelf, <laughs> how, how do I know which one to pick? Well, it has to say noble, and then you pick that one. Uh-oh. But <laughs> well, what's different? I mean, there's... Uh, yeah, some people, you know, take different varieties of oranges. Um, uh, but when you let's take a, a look at the, you know the big guys, you know, the Tropicana, the Minimades, the uh, you know, or I should say Pepsi, Coke, and you know those people which own those uh, companies. The big guys are using large volumes. They have to, uh, you know, they they have a lot of innovation and technology they use to get to where their final product is. They store the juice in big million gallon tanks. Use it all year long, but what you know? What one of the big things is they they have to process the juice fairly significantly using high heats and time and temperature to get the stability they need in the juice. I mean, a lot of their juice will will be on the shelf for you know 100 120 days of shelf life. Uh, people like us, you know, we, we take uh, a little more care in in the juice. We don't over process it. We don't overcook it. We get about half that shelf life, but we're 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 maintaining more of the flavors in the juice, so we're less formulated, and we just take the juice as it is and then market it. And what we do is we try to mix varieties of juice to get what we need uh, and to get a consistent flavor. We also tend to be a little more indulgent juice because we wait. You know, but being a smaller player in the business, we go out there and pull what we consider is the pre the primo fruit, you know, when it's prime, when it's uh, the most ripe, when it fits the profile, we, we harvest it then and then we process it. Where, you know, the big guys, they have to, you know, they have to, you know, buy fruit all year long and then they blend all these different juices, fruits and from, you know, early maturity to late maturity and, you know, the ripe maturity to get what they need. And so there's a big difference in that sense. So, you know, we we tend to have a little higher, uh, you know, we measure the quality of, uh, or the, the, I should say, the sugar solids and juice tells you kind of the ripeness. And we tend to run higher bricks, which measures the sugar solids, which means it's a little more ripe than lower bricks. So let's say the uh, typical juice in the market's like 11.8 bricks. You'll find our juices around 12.5 or 13. And, and in that in that uh, product, it also brings you more of the vitamins and minerals and everything else. So we tend to be a little, little higher in nutritional value, unless you know they're adding you know vitamin C to theirs, and, and a lot of them do. They have to do that because it doesn't have enough. Well, or they you know they're trying to make sure that uh, they have more than the next guy. <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> it's all a competition of who can be the best at whatever they're providing. You know, so, uh, yeah, some of it is uh, because of that. But, you know, they have to declare it if they add it. So you can, you'll see that. I, you know, no one in the industry is doing anything that uh, I, I believe underhanded. Everything's on the label is clearly marked. Uh, in Florida, we have the Department of Citrus that, that kind of monitors all the juice that comes out of Florida. Uh, that's something unique with Florida. 
based products. You know, California, other states don't have a oversight group like the like we have, and so we have certain standards we have to meet that in many cases are stricter than some of the uh, federal standards. The Florida wants to protect their reputation, but it's good for us because it means a, you know we believe a better quality, better tasting juice comes out of Florida. Most of our juices are all Florida. We process the fruit here. We squeeze it and we bottle it. We, but we have a few items, like we have a blood orange juice we just introduced. That that, that comes from Sicily. And we have a, a partner there that we buy our juice from, and then we bottle it here. Uh, but we you know, we work with them on the specifications we want and make sure that they do the same things we would do as far as picking the fruit when it's the proper ripeness to get the best flavor. Is that the only one of your juices that you guys don't make? Uh, no, we we also have uh, well, we have a blend of uh, tangerine with guava and mango. Um, there's not a lot of guavas and mangoes made in Florida, so we do buy those purees and add it to our juice. Uh, we do a tangerine with cranberry, added. Not any cranberries in Florida either, so <laughs> they come out of northern part of America, uh, north you know, northern states. Uh, you know, so as we're getting into other blends and so forth, it, it does. Uh, uh, warrant us to reach out to other uh, forces. So with the fruit that comes from Florida, how do you get that fruit? Do you have just relationships with certain farmers, or how does that work? Yeah, we uh, we uh, we develop relationships with uh, growers, and we go and work out. Uh, so we some we have some short-term uh, contracts and some long-term contracts. We also work with, with the packing houses uh, in the area, and uh, the fruit that doesn't make... Uh, you know, isn't the prettiest fruit that they can't sell on the market it comes to juice plants. So we work with them, too, and pull what they call their eliminations, and then we use that for juice as well. When you get the juice, you said that you process it for less time than other companies. And what does that processing involve? Well, it's, uh, you know, the juice that uh, comes is pasteurized, and so it's just like the same process milk is pasteurized. The difference with the juice industry than milk is that, uh, you know, depending on what you're trying to do with the juice, you have uh, different settings, you know, different heat settings, different times that the product is heated and, and temperatures. Uh, the large uh, processors, they go very high. You know, they go like over 200 degrees. Like milk is processed uh, normally at like 160 degrees Fahrenheit and held for like nine seconds. And that's the minimum pasteurization for milk. You get much higher than that, milk starts tasting burnt. I don't know if you've ever had any burnt-flavored milk, and you're like, why Why does this taste so funny? It's probably because they let it get too hot of temperature. But juice can go higher, um, and uh, and so if you're going to store it in these big, large aseptic tanks, well, you don't want the juice to uh, start fermenting on you. So they have to essentially get rid of any and all uh, microbial activity, you know, yeast, mold, bacteria, and, and some people believe some of that stuff's good, like uh, in yogurts where you have good bacteria. There's good bacteria in in, uh, in juices too. So what happens is you have they have to heat it real high uh, for a long period of time to sterilize the juice almost so that they can store it in that way. Now, what we do is we process the juice. We actually freeze it, quick freeze it, uh, and then thaw it back out when we need it. And so we don't have to heat it as high a temperature because the freezing process is, uh, doesn't require that. So we keep more of the flavor in and the nutrients. How do you decide which flavors of juice to make? 
Well, some of it's uh, some of it's science. Some of it's uh, um, well, it's all science in a sense, but it's, some of it's just uh, developing the knowledge of what varieties of fruit and what do they taste like. Like in our tangerine juice, uh, there's at least six different tangerines we blend together, and what we've learned. You know, from originally from the family who were the experts in tangerines, uh, we've learned from them, and then uh, we've continued that process to know that when each variety is, has the best right or flavor, you know, what characteristics it has at that point, what time of the year it's best to harvest it, and then we monitor that because it can vary from one week to another of when it's the perfect time to pick it. So we go out and we're monitoring the fruit that's coming. Uh, out of the groves, and then we say, okay, here is a, we're now reached the right bricks, the right uh, chemistry, and we taste it, and it's the right flavor, and we say, okay, now we want to harvest all this so that we can bring it in for our program. Okay. Well, and you keep introducing these new lines. How, how do you pick the new line to introduce? <laughs> well, you know, our, our mission is, um, you know, being a small company and our limited resources, we're not going to go take on the guys that you know have these big items, uh, and so we're trying not to duplicate what other people are doing. We're trying to come up with something innovative and different. So when you look at it, you know we're really the you know, primary tangerine juice in the market, and that's kind of got us started that path. And so then we look at what the market's looking for. So you know we developed a tangerine with uh, guava mango because we saw some of our retailers were focusing more on. Uh, Tropicals, or his, you know, trying to market maybe to more Hispanics. So we developed the product to help, uh, you know, go down that path, and it's done exceptionally well. Uh, and then as we looked at what's what's the healthy trends out there, you know, that we developed the cranberry because there's a lot of you know healthiness that, that complements our tangerine juice, and uh, with the cranberry blend, uh, blood orange is very high in antioxidants. You know, as the pomegranate, the uh, people have convinced everybody now that and taught them that you know darker is better you know more purple more red well there's uh nothing uh, in the citrus uh, world that's more red than uh, blood orange juice and and right now we're the only ones marketing it in the u.s is it actually higher uh, oh yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know and it's higher and it has different you know antioxidants if you look at orange juice it has a certain amount of antioxidants Grapefruit does, you know, vitamin C is an antioxidant, so we all have that. But there's other unique ones that uh, are different by items. So citru- uh, grapefruit has its unique ones. Orange tangerines are unique from orange, uh, and then you know, uh, blood orange has unique ones that are also specific to it. So it's very high in antioxidants, and uh, you know, as well as it uh, tastes good too. So, you know, and there's so much work being, you know, there's been like over 600 research studies funded and uh, done on citrus-based products, on the healthiness of it. And one of the things I think, uh, or I believe, that all these new exotic juices are coming in, and but yet, you know, we have to reinforce the fact that, you know, citrus-based juices are still very healthy, too. You know, don't forget that, you know, you know they're fighting colds and heart health and, uh, there's all kinds of work being done around with cancer fighting and, and uh, Alzheimer's and, and everything else done with a lot of the components that are naturally in citrus juices. You know, as an industry, we have to do more to help educate the consumers. But uh, don't forget, you know, you know, citrus 
juices are still good for you. I think they've gotten more of a bad rap recently. Like I feel like I used to drink a lot of juice, and then people started telling me that you know drinking juice is just like sugar, and you should just have the fruit itself. Well, yeah, it depends how you look at it. The, uh, uh, I mean, there's between the juice and the fruit, there's no difference as far as the juice. I mean, the, the juice is in the fruit. Now, you might get uh, an orange juice if you're eating a lot of you know, the pulp and stuff. You get a little more fiber in the pulp, uh, and so you might say, "Yeah, that's a uh, uh, that's a little better for me." But you know, in like a 32 ounce bottle of uh, of our juice. Um, there's like uh, ten, ten tangerines, you know, that makes makes up that uh, bottle of juice. And you know, are you going to sit down and and say you might drink half that bottle of juice? That'd be five tangerines. Are you going to sit down and eat five tangerines and get all the benefits of five tangerines from one serving? Probably not. Um, so it's a more convenient way to get the healthiness that's out of uh, a fresh fruit, you know, but. You know, I'm not going to you know, downplay fresh fruit. Fresh fruit is always going to be good for you. You know, we are just a, a convenient alternative to eating fresh fruit. We definitely don't go bad. <laughs> you buy a bag of oranges or tangerines. You might get through them all. You might not before you have to throw some away. The product, your juice does have a shelf life, though, right? Yeah, we our product is produced with like 60 days. All right, so as you consumer, by the time it gets to the store and get to you, you've got, you know, and that's a best buy date. And to be honest, it, it, you know, it goes beyond the expiration date that's on there. Uh, but, you know, most consumers will consume, you know, we sell most of our product in 32-ounce bottles. It's not too hard for a consumer to consume that bottle in a week. Some of them consume it in a day. What about pulp? And your juices don't have much pulp in them. No, our, we have our organic orange juice has some pulp in it, um, and pulp is a uh, is something that's uh, it's kind of like the uh, in the eye of the beholder. Uh, it's, it's unique to each individual, and you tend to find adults like pulp more than uh, kids. Kids, as a rule, don't like a lot of pulp in their juice, and from a lot of the studies that have been done. And what we've done is, uh, and and the way the industry does pulpy juice is they take the pulp, uh, pretty much the citrus industry all takes the pulp out of the juice when you're processing it. And then they they uh, process that pulp separately and then they add it back and just prior to filling the you know, bottles, they blend it back in. So it's a, you make a decision at that point, do you want pulp or don't you want pulp? We have found that the majority of our consumers are not high pulp users. You know, they, they like maybe a little bit of pulp but not necessarily a lot of pulp. And that's why you see people like Tropicana offer a high pulp product, and then you know most of Tropicana and made stuff are no pulp as well. It, being a small company, we don't have the luxury and the advantage of having shelf space to be offering both both alternatives to consumers, especially when the, the pulpy juice consumer seems to be about only about 10 or 15% of the, of the juice consumers out there. What's your favorite juice? What's my favorite juice? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, you know, my my, fa- my my favorite juice is our tangerine juice. I mean, that's when I first came to the company. I you know I was just amazed because I was like the ninety nine point nine percent of the market in the U.S. I'd never even heard of this product before. <laughs> and I was like, wow, tangerine juice. Never even thought about it. This is great. You know, it's it's, it's nice, smooth flavor. It's very low in acid. It's, it's just like 
this is like the ultimate orange juice. And so that's my favorite. But I've, uh, you know, I've developed some other ones. You know, my, I, I'd say my second favorite is probably my tangerine with guava and mango in it. And I like guavas and mangoes. And, uh, so it's a really nice blend. And I'm really growing attached for as an alternative to our blood orange juice. Uh, it's a, uh, very unique flavor. Most people describe it as a very sweet orange juice with a little bit of grapefruit in it. That's what they think is in it when I said, no, it's just blood or- how blood oranges taste. It's really good. <laughs> did you have some yesterday? Which, which ones did you get? Did you get a whole sampling of them? Yeah, I got like four or five of them. <laughs> and did you like the blood orange the best? Or? I really like the blood orange. I haven't, yeah. tried one. I haven't tried the one with the cranberry yet. I'm oh. Yeah, yeah, and then that's it. We've really developed. That's a that's a woman's drink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it only because nine times out of ten, when we we serve it to people, the women really like that drink. That's a flavor profile. And I think you know women tend to drink more cranberry juice, and the guys are like they'll pick the guava mango or they'll pick the regular tangerine. You know, that's a very unscientific <laughs> result, but that's what we found at shows and and through just tasting around here. And, uh, but the, uh, and if you're a, uh, if, if you like to add a little bit of spirits to your uh, juice, the blood orange does really well with, you know, rum and vodka. <laughs> and actually, one of the things that, uh, we've done is made blood orange mimosas. And the champagne really, uh, goes well with the, uh, juice. In fact, uh, someone had told me that they flew back from England, or Scotland, a couple weeks ago, and they were serving that on, in first class. So blood orange juice is more popular in other countries? In Europe, because, you know, 90% of the blood oranges are grown in Europe and uh, in Sicily, really. That's where most of them come from. There are some starting to come out of uh, California, uh, but they're not the same intensity, uh, don't really have the same flavor profile. But blood oranges are probably one of the oldest oranges out there. You know, they've been, you know, consumers in Europe, especially Italy, have been uh, eating them for you know, hundreds of years, maybe longer. I don't know. I don't know when. That. But yeah, it's very well down there. And we're you seeing a lot of uh, cooking shows using blood oranges or blood orange juice and uh, incorporating them in recipes and stuff. So I think it's a really um, uh, an increasing trend from what we're seeing, and we're getting a lot of interest from it. So tell me about your bottles. I know that's a big thing for you guys. Yeah, you know we. Uh, uh, about three, a little over three years ago, I started. Uh, I got introduced by the concept of the material from a buyer at Walmart who had seen a presentation, and they, and they said, "You know, you might want to look at this. It might it might fit real well with your product line." And so, and that's all of a sudden. You know, it wasn't like you have to do this, like most people think Walmart does, but <laughs> they didn't. And they just said, "You know, maybe want to look at." It. And we did. And I said, "You know what? Uh, I'd had some." I'd done some work when I was in general mills and packaging and uh, was probably a little more in tune to different things uh, around recyclability. And I was involved when you know, they started putting little symbols on the bottles, of bo- bottoms of bottles and stuff like that, and we had to go through that change at, at general mills. And so I was, I was, you know, at least a little bit, maybe a little better informed than other people. So I started digging into it and found out that the, the company, uh, Nature Works, which was owned by Cargill, had done a lot of research with this material and orange juice. Because at that time, uh, Cargill had several orange juice or orange juice processing plants. 
And uh, so they had done a lot of the work for me. To con- yeah. And I looked at it and said, well, you know, there doesn't seem to be any issues here. And you think about all the questions. Yeah, well, are there any allergen issues? Are there any you know, flavor issues? And once you learn about the process, it's not really corn. You know that that's doing it's it's the sugar they're using the sugar they're fermenting the sugar and they're making a lactic acid and they turn that acid into plastic so it's uh it's really a sh- any sugar source can be used for it so once I understood that we did some testing and we said listen this really makes a lot of sense you know the ethanol thing was just starting to ramp up and and we're saying you know natural resources you know we know inherently you know there's only a limited supply of fossil fuels out there. You know, we got to start figuring out alternatives. And uh, here we have an all-natural product. We have a line of organic products. You know, why not have an all-natural package, too? And I said, you know what? We can probably, we're small enough, we're fast enough. We can probably do this before anybody else can. And so we jumped into it. took a lot of work. Uh, took some selling. Uh, had to sell our suppliers on it. Uh, they weren't real excited about it. Uh, they were thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. We don't know what this is about. They were worrying about the bottles uh, disintegrating on the shelf. And um, Even one of the companies made me sign a waiver that if there was anything bad happened, that we wouldn't hold them liable. Because <laughs> uh, uh, it was just the fear of the unknown. And uh, we said, you know, listen, there's just nothing that we see go wrong, but we learned a lot. It was a difficult process and because uh, it uses a lot less energy to make the bottle, which we were excited about. Um, and it can't be used for every application because it has a really low melting temperature. But since we fill our product cold and we keep our product cold, it wasn't an issue for us. But a lot of the you know shelf staple juices fill their bottles hot and this bottle isn't won't work for that. The bottle will just melt. You can't just stick this bottle in the microwave. Yeah, no. Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> well, you can. <laughs> you put anything in the microwave, but I mean, it'll, uh, if you put, if you try to, you know, heat water in it, you'll end up uh, with a mess. Because um, about, about 105 degrees, it starts getting soft uh, Fahrenheit, and then about 140, 150 degrees, it just starts, you know, melting down. And uh but that's the neat thing about it. <laughs> that's the advantage. I mean you, you throw it into a compost facility with uh, bugs and heat and moisture and it gets up to about hundred and forty degrees and thirty days later it's gone. It's dirt. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh I was amazed. And uh we actually did some tests with a little uh what the uh, as a company out in California that sells a home um Composter that uh, simulates commercial composting. So it has like a little light bulb for a heat source, and, and it turns it like once a day. Or and uh, you throw all your food stuff in there, and we put our bottle in there, and actually it only took 20 days, and it was gone. If you don't compost at home, what do we do with this bottle? Well, NatureWorks has uh, is working with the recycling industry um, uh, to uh, their plant in uh, Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska uh, is uh, can can take recycled materials and convert it back to the original plastic, and actually it, it does it with less energy than converting the sugar into the plastic. So um, they have, they're working on communicating to the recycling industry to uh, you know if they bundle it up, uh, they'll buy it back from them. 
Now, the challenge we have is that there's just not enough material yet to, to make it financially, uh, a financial incentive for the uh, recyclers to bundle it up because you pretty much probably need a truckload of it to justify the transportation costs and the fuel to send it back. So, uh, you know, so it doesn't mean you can't put it in the recycling bin because there's a lot of plastics that go in the recycling bin that don't get recycled. We're finding that, uh, in fact, about half of the plastics that are put in recycling bins don't go into recycling at all. In many cases, they end up being sold to China. Something I learned the other day from, I guess, a recycling group up in Minnesota. And China sorts out and uses what they want, and the rest of it they burn for energy. So, I mean, I think the whole goal for us is to figure out how to get less in landfills and look for other uses. And, uh, you know, as a, as a country, we haven't done a good job of that. You know, because I, I don't know if you've heard some of the statistics on how much plastic really gets recycled. But I've, I have numbers I heard, I don't have them in front of me, but like PET, like uh, maybe 25% of the PET is recycled. If you look at all plastics, it's like 8 or 9% is recycled, and, uh, you know, and uh, so those are pretty low numbers. You mean that people uh, actually recycle them or that they get recycled after they're at the recycling facility? Yeah, they get, that they actually are recycled uh, and, and, and not going into a landfill. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, unfortunately I think there are, you know, I've heard stories, I don't have any proof, but I've heard stories of some small recyclers that you know, basically sort out what they need and the rest of it they ship to the landfill because they have no other place to send it. So even if it's burned for energy, it's better than uh, not going into a landfill. I mean, I think as a as a country, we have to figure out how to you know be generating less garbage, and and uh, this is one alternative. Is it the the solution? No, there isn't one solution. There won't be one solution. But the, uh, we have to continue to figure out how to develop more alternatives so that uh, we can get away from just piling things up. I mean, yes. I always tell people the highest point in Florida is our mountains of garbage. Yeah, and, and you look at that, and you realize what that impact is. Sixty to eighty percent of what's in that landfill doesn't have to be there, and uh, you know we got we got some opportunities. You know, the, you know we have a lot of land, and then we don't have a lot of land, but you know, so we get away with it. But these small countries, you know, over in Europe, they do such a better job because they don't have the land available to them to just pile it up. So they have to, they're forced to do something different. And so I think, you know, bio-based materials, whether it's this material or, you know, cellulose-based materials or things that will break down and go back to earth or things that, can, that you know, have the option to be recycled or composted, you know, or, at least in our case, you know, if our bottle is burned, it doesn't give off any harmful gases because you're burning basically, you know, the lactic acid and it doesn't, doesn't turn into any negative. You burn a plastic bottle... Uh, you have to put in all kinds of scrubbers and stuff to make sure those fumes don't get out into the atmosphere. And so, you know, the neat thing about the package, you really have an alternative. And uh, we have a lot of debate on the landfill things because when they build a landfill, they design a landfill not to break down because they don't want it collapsing and caving in. But in theory, you bury this bottle, eventually it's going to go away. You bury a plastic, you know, a Fossil fuel-based package, it ain't going away. <laughs> it's going to be there forever. It won't turn into anything else. It won't have any redeeming value. Now, it might take 500 years. It might take 100 years. We don't know because now they haven't been able to 
you know, simulate it. But we know it's a, being a natural product. Eventually, it will break down. So I, I just think that more and more as this gets developed, you're going to see the ability to um, uh, to have those options, and, and they're going to start figuring out other alternatives for handling this as a waste item. But we like to encourage people, you know, because a lot of people have kind of expressed concerns to me about you know plastic bottles for water. And so I, I, tell, uh, I tell them, I said, oh, you know, buy my bottle of juice and then fill it up with water from your tap. And I said, you don't have to worry about anything getting into your, bo- your water. You guys should sell some bottles. just For, for water bottles? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it'd be, I've had that suggestion a couple times. And, and there are a couple of companies out there now who are starting to market water bottles out of uh, PLA. Um we're, we're we're trying to stay focused on what we know how to do the best right now and what we know how to market. You know, maybe we're missing an opportunity, but you know, I can think of all kinds of uses. <laughs> so for right now, if I finish this bottle, should I put it in my recycle bin or should I put it in my trash? I would I would suggest you put it in your recycle bin because at least then it has an opportunity to be recycled. And if the recyclers are getting enough of it, they will start finding a solution for it. And then they at least have the opportunity to do something else with it, whether it is to sell it to be, you know, to be turned into something else, other plastic, you know, off-grade plastic, they call it, or at least, you know, burn it for energy. You put it into your trash, it's going to the landfill, it's just adding to the mountain. It's amazing as I've started this bottle and I've become more of an advocate for recycling how at home I've looked at everything that potentially could be recycled and I put it all in my recycle bin. You know, um, because I say, listen, you know, that's the only way if they start getting enough of this, they're going to start handling it and figuring out how to recycle it. And I don't really know what they can handle and what they don't. I wonder what the recycle companies think about that because I know they have all those rules about what you should and shouldn't put. Well, they do and they have, you know, some of them have pretty sophisticated sorting systems that they can optically sort uh, the different plastics by, you know, the different, you know, with these technologies, and, and they do a pretty good job. There's other ones that have people that are sorting it. Uh, you know, if, if uh, some of them are concerned that this material, since it melts at so much lower temperature, if it gets into the wrong plastic, it, uh, it could be considered a defect. You know, we, we're working with the industry on that. But you know, I'm a I'm a recycle advocate, and I've even talked to you know some people in the recycling industry, and I say I, I tell people to recycle everything. We got to figure out how to you know either recycle or reuse, and not be adding to the landfill. In one sense, you know, can we really let the you know garbage, <laughs> what I consider you know our waste stream dictate to us you know what we should do uh, as far as what we should buy, what we should do? Because at one point the recyclers were real concerned with this because they didn't know. And they were like, "Oh, you can't, you can't sell, you can't sell product with this." We're like, "Whoa, hold it! <laughs> you know, we, we can't let that part of the system dictate innovation. You know, this, this is giving you options." So we're we're working hard with the group. We're trying to build a partnership there, and we're also working with the uh, plastics industry to try to develop a symbol that will be uh, unique to biopaper based plastics because right now we get lumped into the number seven which is all other you know so you have six type of plastics that they identified that they want to you know have separate symbols and then everything goes into the number seven as more and more different plastics are being developed some good some bad 
you know, we're all getting lumped up in one group, and, you know, we don't think that's appropriate. So we're working on a, trying to get our own symbol. When you juice all of this fruit, mm-hmm. uh, presumably you have a lot of waste there. I mean, do you compost all that, or what do you do with it all? Well, the interesting thing about the citrus industry, we are probably have been, and I think more by uh, need uh, than, than necessarily uh, desire, uh, one of the more sustainable processes out there because we have very little waste. Because uh, the peel, uh, the large plants, they they actually dry the peel and turn it into little pellets for feed. Uh, being a small plant, we don't have the ability to invest in all that capital. So what we do is we truck it out to the cattle and they eat it. Outside from a little bit of juice or water that happens to hit the floor and go down the drain, everything else gets consumed. But a lot of food industries that way too. I mean, I've been made cereal and yogurt and other stuff and a lot of the waste of food plants all goes to animal feed. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that I should have? Let's see. Well, uh, the one thing that I'll tell you is the one thing we haven't fixed yet is or put in this material is our cap. Our cap is still made from a polypropylene and so it's still petroleum based but we are working real hard with our cap suppliers and we are doing some testing right now of some caps that are made from PLA. Uh, we want to be the first company to say that we have a 100% all-natural package or plastic package. Yeah, there are, you know, if you want to call paper all-natural, which it is, uh, you know, they're all, that already exists. But when it comes from, uh, you know, non-petroleum, you know, that, that's the direction we're going. We're, we're committed as a company to do that. So, uh, that is something unique to us, you know. And then, of course, our, you know, I think you're aware, our, our shrink sleeve, our label, is also made from PLA. And we're the first company in North America, and what we're told in the world, that actually has a bottle and a label that's made from this material. And so that makes us a little unique. Let's see, what else? We are also in Canada as well as the U.S. with our package. And we've had some interest to go overseas, both in Europe and the Far East. We're not everywhere in the U.S., but we're fairly we're distributed across the U.S. We're not in every store. We're working hard to get into every store. I was really surprised yeah. because on your website it said that you were at Deerberg, which is like our local supermarket. But then we were up until about a month ago. Oh, is that yeah. what happened? Okay. Yeah, and they they just uh, didn't didn't see that they were getting enough sales. We've been in and out of Deerberg about three times in the last seven years. And never could figure out why we can't uh, get something going there. And uh, St. Louis Market is one of those uh, markets that we've had just a real difficult time with. But we know we'll get there. The uh, you know closest thing to you at this point would be Walmart. And they, right now they just carry our tangerine juice. But they're going to bring in a couple, uh, you know, some new items here shortly. So we're excited about that. If you could interview one person about a food-related topic, who would it be? Ooh. They have to be alive, I assume, right? Either way. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. Um, about a food-related topic. I used to work for, and this is it kind of goes off of my industry here, but I used to work for uh, Lee and Parents, which was owned by Dan Ohm. And, uh, if I, you know, if I go back historically, I really would like to have interviewed the guys from Lee and Parents and uh, figured out how they came up with the... Uh, the formula for that product because it, it was one of the more complex formulas, oldest formulas out there, and I just uh, 
that is intrigued on how it all came together. What is what did you say, Lee? What? Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. You know the Worcestershire sauce that's in the paper wrap. Oh, okay. Yep. You know that that formula goes back into the early 1800s. There's about 60 different items from all over the world that they put into that product, and it's, it takes over two years to make it. And uh, and there was only there was only a few of us that really knew the complete formula when we were there, and uh, it was uh, amazing to me that that formula was so old and uh, how it all came together and <laughs> was uh, was ama- would would be interesting to understand. Just like the other thing is, you know, when the guy, first guy made Coke, you know, how'd, they, how'd they come up with that? That's all for today's interview. Remember to stop by foodinterviews.com to see photos of Wade. Also, I'd love to hear some feedback about what you would like to see in future Food Interviews podcasts. Please leave me a comment. For now, happy eating. <laughs>